Thanks be to him. Let's be seated. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful day and this place that you've provided for us to gather today uh, to hear from your word and to come to you in prayer and to lift our voices in praise. We pray this morning that as we open your word that you would be honored and glorified by what is said. And, and I pray that you would uh, come and move amongst us, that your spirit would uh, uh, encourage us and convict us where we need convicting and, and that we would leave here having seen you more fully. We just confess that without your spirit moving and leading and teaching and guiding us, that we're hopelessly lost. And so we just pray that you would do that this morning, that you would move in this place and show us exactly what you would have us to see this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We've been with us. We've been in this series for uh, a few weeks now. Uh, I think this is actually week six. I say a few. I think this is week six now. What we've been doing is we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And each week we've been looking at different uh, interactions that Jesus has with different people and what that looks like and what it teaches us. And, and, and we see some things about what it teaches us and who Jesus is talking to and who he's spending time with. We also see things uh, in terms of what Jesus actually says to them and the teaching that he's telling them. And, and so as we've been walking through this, we've been saying following Jesus means uh, putting your hand to the plow. That was the first week that, that having a focus on what Jesus is calling us to. Or we or we said following Jesus means having a different perspective than that, which the way the world sees things or or being following Jesus means being sent to proclaim the gospel without fear. Following Jesus means repentance. It means faith. And this morning we're coming to the end of, of Mark 5 that we started to look at last week and is simply uh, entitled this morning that, that uh, following Jesus means trusting in hard times. And so we're going to see this in this story this morning as we come to the end of this Mark 5. And so this, this picture of trusting and, and when, when we come on hard times, you know, it's easy to trust people, it's easy to say, do you trust me when there's, there's kind of nothing on the line? If we're sitting at a table together with our loved ones and we're having a meal and we say, oh, do you, do you trust me uh, to your spouse or to your kids or, and everybody's happy and, oh, yeah, yeah, I trust you. Right? It's, it's different when you're hanging off a cliff and somebody's holding you by the hand and they say, do you trust me? Right? Suddenly it changes the way we look at it and the way we feel about it. Suddenly when, when times are difficult, it's the same thing sometimes in our relationship with God. It's easy to come to worship on a Sunday morning and gather together and sing songs and, and be excited when our health is good and, and the bills are paid and, and you've got a job or you've got whatever it is and, and things are going fairly well. It's, it's a lot harder to come and to do so and, and to be in that when, when things are tough and when times are tough or maybe the bills are piling up or maybe the job isn't there or maybe you've lost a loved one recently or whatever it may be and it's harder Sometimes in those times, right, when the hard times come, sometimes it's we start to ask questions like uh, this wasn't supposed to go this way. Why is it like this? Or maybe it's a really hard time when we start to get frustrated and we say things like, well, where is God in all this? Why would he allow this to happen this way? And we can start to ask those questions or maybe really hard times. You start to doubt if there is a God. Maybe you've asked those questions at different times in your life as you were struggling with different things. And we look around our world and, and we can see a, it's difficult at different times. And the Bible tells us, it gives us answers as to why. You know, in Romans chapter 8, Paul will say that all of creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. And he talks about sin entering into the world and the futility that comes with that and what that looks like and how hard things can be 
in our times right now because of sin, that we've rebelled against God, that we've gone against the way that God has made the very fabric of our being and we've decided to rebel and do other things. And because of that, sometimes things are very difficult. Uh, for me, it helps to think in terms of when, when man originally sinned and sin entered into the world, it's like a, a virus spreading into all things. Right? And it turned us from being attuned to God and being directly to God and being about him to being about ourselves. Selfishness comes in. We decide to ignore God and all kinds of consequences come from that. And the Bible tells us that and talks about that. And so when we see the hard times and we see those things around, uh, the Bible gives us answers as to why that is. Because of sin and it's entering, things are amiss. They're not quite right. Things are unsettled. But that doesn't change the fact that it's hard when you're in the midst of those times. Even if you know the reasons why that's going on, it's still very hard. And so I want us to think about that a little bit this morning. You know, as we look at the end of Mark chapter 5, what we really see is Jesus kind of showing us how he's working in really hard times on a very condensed timeline. Right? We're going to look at it and just the, the, the story here and just t- takes just a couple of hours for it to come to fruition, the whole thing. And we see how God's moving very clearly in this one little snapshot. Oftentimes in our life, it's spread out over much, much longer periods of time. We don't often see it like this, but that doesn't make it less true in how God's moving and how he's working. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in Mark chapter five, where we were last week. You know, last week we read the same passage. I know some of you may have heard Chris reading the passage and went, wasn't that last week? Yeah. Well, we went back and we read all the way through so that we can see the fullness of this picture, kind of get the context of what's going on. Right. And at the beginning of last week, this guy, Jairus, who's the leader in the synagogue, comes to Jesus and he pleads with him. Right? It says he pleads earnestly with Jesus. He says, please come. My little girl is sick. And Jesus says, OK. And he starts to move with them and there's people everywhere. And this is right at the kind of the height of Jesus's popularity. People are all over. And as he's walking through the crowd, the woman grabs his the, the back of his coat and and he stops and he addresses her. And we talked about her last week. If you were here, uh, we talked about the woman who had had this sickness for a long time. And I'm not going to retell that whole story You can go back and listen to last week. If you want to hear that story with her. But what you see is that that Jesus stops in the midst of Jairus, right in the midst of his suffering. He's he's come and he's pleaded with Jesus because his little daughter is so sick. She's on her deathbed and it's come now and you can you can feel the tension of I need you right now. And Jesus stops and he takes time with this woman and he talks to her. You get to the end of that and it says uh, he, he listened to her tell him the whole truth. She lays out her story and he spends time with her and he listens to her and all this is going on. And then that's where we're going to pick up, kind of going back to Jairus. We kind of stepped off to look at what goes on with this woman last week. And now we come back to Jairus and what's happening. And what you see there is it comes back to him and we get this picture of how God's working in the midst of hard times. And so the three things I want us to see, I often say that uh, I, I was late on it this week. It's my fault. If you look at the outline in your bulletin, that's on uh, page nine. If that helps you, I always say that they're just blank. But I'm going to give you what the blanks are right now. That was that was my fault. I didn't have them quite yet when we did the bulletin. But the three things I want you to say, see is is that in following Christ and in this life and the hard times that are there. Number one, there'll be times when we have to wait. We often say God's timing is not our timing. That's almost always the case. And it's almost always the case because our timing is I want it right now. I want you to fix it right now. I need this right now. Where are you, God? And so 
there will be times when we have to wait. That's number one. Number two, there will be trials. And then number three, Jesus is the same. He is the constant always. All right. So there will be times we wait. There will be trials, but Jesus is the same. And so let's look at those together and pick up with this story with Jairus. Right. When we start with, well, there will be times that we have to wait. This seems pretty obvious given what we looked at last week and then following it up this week. Here's Jairus in in, uh, dire straits. Come, Jesus, I need you right now. Come to my daughter. And he starts to go and then he stops. And he makes he literally makes Jairus wait. There he is waiting, knowing that his daughter could die at any second. And and you feel the tension of that. And so Jesus goes through this deal with this woman. We don't know exactly how long it took, but he obviously listened to her and they had a conversation and he told the people around and he's teaching and he's showing. And in the midst of all this, look at what it says in verses thirty five and thirty six. And so while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And so he turns to Jairus and he tells him, don't fear, only believe. There's a quote in your uh, bulletin this morning for reflection. We put those in there each week that have something to do usually with what we're talking about to help kind of prompt our hearts and our minds before we begin. But it says this from C.S. Lewis. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. And you read this account where Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, don't fear, only believe. And you can start to put yourself in Jairus's shoes and understand why there's fear there. He's just heard that his daughter has died. If I'm real honest and I think about it, probably one of the greatest fears in my life is not being able to protect my children. Or something would happen to him that I couldn't control. Right? God deals with me on that, wanting control of that, like the, the illusion that I'm in control of what's going to happen with them. But that's a difficult thing to think about. And so you can see why Jairus would be fearful as this happens. He hears that his daughter has died and you start to get that picture. You know, when you read in Luke's account, this, this same account is in Luke Chapter eight, Luke kind of fills us in. We don't know a whole lot about Jairus other than he's a leader in the synagogue. He would have been a man who's well respected. He did a lot in the worship of the synagogue and helped put things in order. Uh, My guess is Jairus is probably the person people would come to with problems and asking him questions as opposed to the one falling down and begging the teacher, the rabbi Jesus that's coming through for help. But what we see in Luke's account is, is Luke says it this way. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be saved. Right. And so Luke kind of gives us a little more. You know, sometimes when we look at the Gospels side by side, if you've ever done that, you you find these stories and where they kind of sync up and you go and you read them. Sometimes people will go, well, well, that right there is proof that the Bible is not God's word because they don't say the exact same thing. Sometimes people will say that it's a common objection. Right. Mark says that he says, do not fear, only believe. But Luke says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be saved. And so one of the things oftentimes we try to make issues out of non issues and it's just a misunderstanding in scripture. What we have is is really we just have two different perspectives telling us the same story. It'd be the same thing if anybody uh, if we grab two or three people here today and, and ask them, how was what happened on Sunday morning? What was worship like? And you'd get different uh, views of it doesn't mean they're contradictory doesn't mean that one's wrong and the other's right somebody may say a little more detailed than the other person but they go together you see the same thing here 
Mark says, uh, don't fear, only believe. Luke says, don't be afraid any longer. They're both right. Mark kind of gave it in a shortened version, Luke a little more, but they're both right. They're both telling us what happened. But what struck me as I looked at that, the different perspectives and how they go together, is when Jesus says in Luke, don't be afraid any longer. Right? There's kind of a connotation there that Jairus was afraid before he heard his daughter was dead. Jairus was afraid of what might happen to her, which makes perfect sense. If you're a parent and you have a terminally ill child and you think they're on your deathbed, there's a real fear of losing them. And you see both coming together. But what you start to see is that Jesus, in delaying, he stops and takes time with this woman in the midst of this moment that I need you, Jesus, right now. And he says, wait just a second. It moves from the fear of losing his child to actually losing his child. Right. You see the change there. Right. The thing that he feared might happen now becomes a reality. And so Jesus waits and you see this and you can you can look at this picture and and you go, what's going on? Why would he stop and wait knowing Jesus knows what's going on? Right? And I think part of it is he's revealing something in Jairus's heart. It's the same thing when God has us what we think we're waiting on. He's showing and he's revealing things. You know, I was talking to a friend just last week, right before I'm reading this. And he's a friend that we also have a mutual friend that has a little girl that's very sick. And this friend of mine, the daughter is very sick and they're coming to grips with the reality that they're probably going to outlive their child. And they know that. I've had that conversation with them. We've prayed about that. They understand that. They see the time that they have with their child as a gift. They have a very healthy view of their relationship with their child right now. But what my other friend said to me as we were talking about it, he said, you know, it's very different to know in your mind and being prepared to when it actually happens. And if you've lost a loved one, you know that to be true. It's very different when it actually happens and the reality begins to set in. And so Jesus delays, and in this time, he goes from the fear of this might happen to the reality of this has happened. And oftentimes when we look at that on the surface, we go, what is God doing? Why like that? Where was God? He knew his daughter was sick. He's imploring Jesus, please come, and he stops and he takes his time. And so the first thing I want you to see in us just to think about is there's times when God's timing's different than ours. And there's a lot of times when we don't understand why. And we can't quite see it. And that takes us to the second thing, that there will be hard times. You know, we live in a fallen, broken world. That's what Romans 8 talks about. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has come and he's defeated death and sin and he's done it right now. And so oftentimes theologians like to talk in terms of they say the already and not yet. Right. We are already reconciled to God. Jesus is already reigning. Jesus has already defeated death and he's already defeated sin. But the not yet is the full consummation. Consummation will not come until Jesus returns. And so we're still in a sinful world and things are still broken and decaying and falling apart. And so there's still hard times and there will be hard times in this life. And when difficult things come like Jairus here and hearing about his daughter, what happens is sometimes we jump to conclusions that the Bible doesn't give us. We begin to wander off and how does this go together? And we start to make leaps and guesses. You know, maybe if you're Jairus of the people standing around, 
right? He delays. They come. They hear. You don't need to bring Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. People standing around could have gone, oh, Jairus probably had a sin that was greater than this woman. Right. That's where we go. We start to make guesses. Well, maybe that's what's going on here. Or we start to guess on different things of why things are happening the way they're happening. Right. Maybe you heard the story last week of the woman being healed. Right. And Jesus turns to her and she says, your faith has made you well. Right. You go, oh, wow, that's awesome. But then maybe in the back of your mind, it starts to creep in and you go, well, I know people that are sick. Or I've been sick. Or I've been praying about this and it hasn't been answered. And what can happen is what creeps into your mind is maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe that's why this is still going on. I just don't have enough faith. There's lucrative ministries, and I use the term ministry very lightly here, that have made a lot of money off of that lie. Put your hand on the TV and you'll be healed. Send me a thousand dollars and you'll be healed. And then if you're not, well, you just don't have enough faith. That's a lie. It's not what the Bible says, and that's not what it tells us. But we try to make guesses, and we try to get in there and try to figure out exactly how God's working. The reason I can say that, and the reason I tell you that, is when we think about faith and faith and asking for healing, we have a picture in 2 Corinthians 12. right? If you know who wrote 2 Corinthians 12, it's the Apostle Paul. When we talk about faith, we usually talk about Jesus, uh, maybe John the Baptist, because Jesus says he was the greatest prophet. And then Paul. That's usually the way we think, right? We look at all that God did through Paul and Paul's faith in hard times and in persecution and all the things and the, the way that Paul was faithful and the way he followed God. And then you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about that God has given Paul this revelation, these beautiful pictures of who he is. He's given Paul great insight. And then listen to what Paul says in 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of surpassing greatness of the revelations. Right. So I don't get a big head about what God has shown me. He said a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You hear what's happening there. Paul's been afflicted with something and we guess people guess all the time. What was the thorn in Paul's flesh? We don't know. We don't know exactly what it was. But what we see here clearly is Paul said, I have pleaded with the Lord that he would remove it. And the answer that he's given is that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not Paul. You don't have enough faith. It's Paul, I'm working through this time right now, what you're going through, and my grace is sufficient for you. And in this time, you're going to have to lean on me all the much more. That's God's grace. And that is hard to hear when you're in the midst of a hard time. It's not an easy truth of Scripture, but it is a glorious truth of Scripture. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You are made strong in your weakness because you have to rely on me in this time. 
And so God's grace is such that he strips things away that we get our joy from or or we think are the things that make us happy. And he reveals what's at our heart. It's the same thing with Jairus here. The fear of what if I lost my child becomes a reality. And so when that happens, you have a choice to make when you come face to face with those hard times. You can either shake your fist at God and say, what are you doing? You don't know what's going on. Or you can say what, what the guy says to Jairus. It's a very prophetic word. I don't think he means it this way, but listen to what he says. He says, why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter's dead. Right? We can get in a hard time and go, I've lost a loved one or I've lost whatever. This has happened and I don't need to bother God anymore because he failed me here. Or we start to go into that mode of thinking. Or you can do what Jesus says here. Right? There's times you're going to wait. There's times when things are going to be very hard, but Jesus is always right there at the center and he's the constant. And you see it in verse 36. But overhearing what they said... Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I read that verse over and over this week. Kept thinking about that picture. Here's Jairus, his greatest fear of losing his child, and he's crushed. God in the flesh turns and looks him in the eye and he says, don't be afraid, you believe. I know what all this looks like. He's looking right at Jairus and he's saying, I see what's happening here. I see you feel like your world is crumbling. I see your greatest fear is being realized. I know your heart's ache. I know what's just happened. And then he looks right at him and he says, you don't fear, you believe. And we come to that in our life when those hard time comes. Do you look in Jesus in the face and believe or do you go, ah, I'm done? Jesus is always there, the constant right in the middle. Look at what he does in verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And then they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Just stop there for a second. Jesus shows up and he walks in and he says to him, she's just sleeping. You think about that. <laughs> I almost just laughed thinking about it this week. A house that is in mourning for this child. Right? A great tragedy. A 12-year-old dies. It's what we would call a tragedy. And Jesus walks in and says, no, she's just sleeping. And everybody mocks him. They laugh at him. Say, who is this guy? What in the world is he talking about? And he walks in and then you see here at the end, and this is to me one of the, the sweetest pictures of our Savior. And what he does, and he went in where the child was, And he's taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And there's this picture here as he he takes just Peter and James and John and the parents. 
it puts everybody else away and he goes into this room where the little girl is. And this picture of, of what Jesus often does, he goes deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. Takes the three. He often takes them in and says, I'm going to show you this. But he's discipling them. He's showing them who he is. He's preparing them for what's to come. And you see his grace even with the disciples. But the, the part that I just love that we often miss, right? Mark records what the Aramaic said. That's why it's in there. Talitha kumi which is really kind of a pet saying that Jesus says. It's not really a good translation for it. But it's basically like when you go and one of your kids is sleeping and you've got to wake them up. Right? It happens at my house. Quinn still takes naps. And so there's days when we've got to go somewhere and we've got to do stuff and you have to go wake him up from his nap. And you walk in there and you rub him on the back and you go, buddy, buddy, it's okay, time to wake up. Or his mother says to him, sweetie, it's time to get up. That's what Jesus does here. He walks in and he takes a little girl by the hand. He says, sweetie, it's time to get up. And Jesus takes death and undoes it like you wake your child up. You see that picture? What a beautiful picture. Here he turns to Jairus and he says, just believe. Don't fear, just believe. And then he walks in and he takes her by the hand and she, he pulls her up. And what we see in this in a condensed timeline, is the picture of all of our lives. Every single one of us, unless Jesus returns before we draw our last breath, is going to die. It's kind of a morbid thought. We don't like to harp on that. We often like to just ignore that altogether, really. <laughs> Skip over that. But you look around the room and the people are here and you know the people and the people you love and your loved ones and your family, they're all going to die. Your children, your love, every single one of them. And whether that's in a hospital room or in your bed, in your sleep, or wherever that may be, no matter who's there with you, no matter who's surrounded with you at that time, when you breathe your last breath, it's going to be you alone. They're not going with you. But the beautiful picture in all this is yet when that happens, if you have put your faith in Christ, there he is saying, sweetie, wake up. I've got you. And you walk right through it because of what he's done. And it's the beautiful picture of the gospel, all the sin and all the pain and all the hardships and all those things. Jesus has come down into this world and he walks among us. And he takes on all these things and he knows it. He suffered in these ways. He knows exactly what you're going through and what that feels like and what that looks like. You know, you can hear this story of him taking the little girl and go, oh, that's great. Real sentimental, pretty picture. The little girl, that's great, but that's a fairy tale. That's a great story, but I'm not really sure. Jesus proved that it's not just a fairy tale and it's not just a story when he walked among us and then he came and he went to the cross. And he took on all the sin and all the hardship and all of it and he took it on himself and he let God pour his wrath out on him. And then he rose from the dead showing that the sacrifice has been accepted and it's all going to be dealt with. And so oftentimes we, we, we can kind of go, oh, that's a nice story. No, the, the resurrection is not a nice story. 
It's the truth of history of Jesus coming in and doing what we could never do for us. And so he offers us a glorious future through faith in what he's done. He cared so deeply about these things that he's not a far off God. He comes down and walks among us and takes these things on and undoes the effects of it. And so the resurrection proves that you can trust him. It proves that when then you can't fathom how these things could go together. I can't understand what God's doing right now. I don't know why it's like this. He's got you. He looks you right in the face and says, don't fear, only believe. I'm in control here and I've got this. And so what we see in the resurrection and his atoning death, Jesus proves that he cares. He cares so much that he came to deal with your sin. He came to suffer. He was willing to be cut off from the father. He was willing to bear your wrath. And in doing so, he's proven that he cares for you. And so no matter what you're facing today or what you will face or what you faced in the past, no matter where you are in any of those things, he's in control and he knows it and he's dealing with it. And so you can trust him despite the circumstances. So following Jesus means trusting him in hard times. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful picture that you give us, the ways that you care, the ways that you love us, the ways that you, you came and subjected yourself to this world and the things in it, and you walked among us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your word and the way that you've preserved it and recorded it for us. I pray right now for each person in this room, the different things they're dealing with and the hardships that are in their lives and the things that seek to rob us of our joy, I pray that you would focus us completely on you, on your face saying to us, don't fear, just believe. We thank you that you've proven that you are trustworthy, that we can believe in you, that you do have a glorious future for us, and we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is our time of worship through giving.